Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. The sound of music, Maria sings this song with the captain. Somewhere in my miserable past, there must have been a moment of truth. For here you are standing there loving me, whether or not you should. Somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. This is the way that we often think the world works. If we are good, good things will happen to us, and if we are bad, bad things will happen to us. And so our perceived ideas of whether we are good or bad is how well life is going at the moment. Maybe you've had that kind of moment of, oh gosh, this must be my fault. This must be, uh, I must be to blame. I must be bad if all these things are happening to me. But the story of the baptism of Jesus smashes that assumption. Jesus, who is created, uh, who, is, who is God in human flesh, Jesus, who is perfect without sin, Jesus, who never did anything wrong, is immediately driven from the waters of baptism where the word comes to those who are hearing, this is my child with whom I am well pleased, and immediately goes into the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan. In each of the gospel stories, immediately following Jesus' baptism is Jesus having to do battle with Satan and with temptation. So the assumption that bad things happen to us because we somehow must be bad, this story denies that um, unfortunate truth, that unfortunate truth that that the world tells, that we are to blame that we are at fault. Being driven, those who commit themselves to doing good, this is, this, is, this is a hard truth for us. Those who commit themselves to doing good, those who commit themselves to honoring God, um, are the ones who are most prepared for having to deal with temptation. There is this kind of almost um, um, paradoxical uh, thing that those of us who Um, are the ones most aware of God in our life or the ones that we might face the most temptation. That baptism, temptation go hand in hand. Holiness and temptation go hand in hand. Anyone who offers you a Christianity without tears is offering you a false Christianity. So the question goes then, then why do bad things happen? Why do we experience things that are unfortunate? Why, does, why do we suffer? This is one of those questions that we have wrestled with in our, uh, for humanity's entire existence. I want to turn for a moment back to the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. If you remember this story, Adam and Eve are tempted by the serpent. Now, um, biblical scholars will note that the story of Adam and Eve's temptation by the serpent 
is similar to other stories of temptation in ancient Near East cultures, right? It's not like this was the only example of God creating humans and this serpent coming to try to tempt them into being differently. The difference is, is not how they are similar to those stories, it is how they are different. Because in the biblical account, the serpent has no other power than to be shrewd. In other stories, the serpent is a power that is equal to God. But in Judeo-Christian story, the serpent, the devil, um, evil, it does not have ultimate power. It is not on par with God. It is less than God. Someone once said that the devil is a lot like lizards that we find in the desert. It either puffs itself up to make itself look bigger than it really is, or it plays dead. Evil is real. All you have to do is open your newspaper. All you have to do is scroll social media for a few moments, and you realize that evil actually exists. But, but, evil has no power on itself. That evil is that thing which the Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world. That the Lamb of God has defeated and has shown that it has no power of itself. That evil, the devil, is something like a parasite that cannot exist on its own. It has to attach itself to someone or to something. In this story of the origin of evil that we find in the creation story, it is as if the scriptures want to say to us that Adam and Eve cannot get away with saying, well, the devil made me do it. Which is often our fallback when we sit there and get caught doing something wrong. It's not our fault. And there's a sense in which that is true because the devil is shrewd and can convince us that the thing that we are doing is actually the thing that we should be doing. The devil is shrewd in that the devil oftentimes tells us the thing that we know that we should be doing, we just don't do. But there's some grace in the midst of these stories of temptation. Um, I don't know about you, but in my Lenten temptation, probably day one, I already fell short of what it is I promised I wasn't going to do for 40 days. Free will that is given to us by God is a diminished free will. It is much like the alcoholic who says, I'm never going to drink again. They don't have ultimate power within themselves. It is a day-by-day, hour-by-hour, moment-by-moment decision. And it is a a gut-wrenching conflict. So, Many of us might think, well, the answer simply is for us to just be better people. If we would be better human beings, by gosh, these things wouldn't happen to us. A few uh, moments ago, Tracy read a portion of the story of Noah's Ark, and we are all fairly familiar with this story. We hear the story at the end of it, right? God has sat there and looked at creation and says, these people are awful, they're horrible, 
Um, I've tried sending them to their room. They still won't uh, behave. And so I'm just going to destroy the whole lot, except for Noah and his family, because they are the most righteous people on earth. Surely we can start with someone who is righteous. We'll just start over. Noah and his family, seven others, total of eight, hop in this boat for 40 days. They go and they get two of every animal so they can restart creation over again. And what does Noah do when he gets off of the boat? He gets drunk and he makes a naked uh, spectacle of himself. And it is as if saying that the most righteous person in the world. Now, it may be understandable if you've been in a boat for 40 days with your family, you can understand, Noah, why he made that decision. But the whole point of the story is it doesn't matter that he is the most righteous person in the world. He is still going to fall short. It is something that is in within us. And the moment that we learn that we are just diminished, fallen creatures that are never going to be perfect is the moment that we can hear the story of grace. It's the moment that we stop trying to be righteous so that good things will happen to us or that we can prove people ought to love us or that God should love us. And we move to this place, we move to this place where we do righteousness out of joy. And we hear the words of confession and absolution, not with foreboding and fear, but with the calmness of spirit and saying, I too am a sinner in need of grace. We start this Lenten, every single Lent, we start with the story of Jesus going out into the wilderness to be tempted. Unlike us, Jesus was able to go 40 days without giving in. Unlike us, Jesus is perfect in every way, and that is where our hope lies. It's not in how good you are. It is not in how many sins you commit or don't commit. It is about Jesus's perfection and how Jesus gives us that grace, and we are judged solely by that standard. So when you fall short this Lent, take comfort that you are not alone because we have a great high priest who was perfect for us. When you begin to be unrighteous, take hope that we have a great high priest who is righteous and place your hope in that because human beings will screw it up. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more, go to ChristChurchTulsa.org and peace be with you.